0: great to see you this morning would you please turn your bibles to exodus chapter 18 we're in chapter 18 in our series on the old testament book of exodus your sermon notes are at novachurch.org or on your nova community church app and all the scriptures are there i think all the scriptures i put them in those notes and the four application points are there also. So you can just pull those notes up and take a look at them. You know, right where we're at here in chapter 18, it's been about a year since a burning bush talked to Moses. And in that burning bush, God gave him an assignment to go back to Egypt where he escaped 40 years before to save his life. And so God said, go back and deliver my people. And so Moses, he packs up his wife and his two kids, and he makes his way back. But he runs into some obstacles, and so he sends his wife and his two sons back to Midian. In Exodus chapter 4, we read that Moses never really completely came clean to his father-in-law as to why he left. Egypt in the first place, or Midian to go back to Egypt in the first place. He told his father-in-law, I need to go back because I want to see if people in my family are still living. But the burning bush told him to go to the most powerful empire in the entire world and tell the most powerful man in the entire world, Pharaoh, that Pharaoh, you must let the people go. And so Moses went and did all that the burning bush told him to do. And through the miracles and the power of God, the people were delivered. For a little over a month, they wandered through the desert. And God has once again proven himself to be powerful and loving to the Israelites. And now we see the children of Israel... Find themselves. They're at the base of the mountain of God. And it's here that God will give them what we have come to know as the Ten Commandments. And what we'll see is that there are many more than just Ten Commandments. There were, these were the instructions for how they are to live and to worship God In their eventual home, which was called the Promised Land. But today, in chapter 18, we'll get to the mountain and Ten Commandments and everything else. But today, we're on this sort of this weird little little sidebar. It's a weird part of the story. And you see, somehow, word has gotten back all the way to Midian, um, where Moses has his father-in-law... And his father-in-law, it's strange because he's a pagan priest. He's a priest to idol gods. And Jethro, the father-in-law, the father-in-law of Moses, shows up here in chapter 18. He's not of the household of faith. He's a Gentile. And Jethro, the father-in-law, puts together this family reunion of Zipporah, Moses' wife, and their two sons. And when you read the Bible, you see this—you see something like this, this strange, kind of weird uh, section. It makes you kind of grow in your curiosity, like, what the heck? Like, why? Why is this in the Bible? It doesn't flow with the story. We're waiting for the mountain of God. We're waiting for the Ten Commandments. We're waiting for all of that, but it just kind of goes off a little bit. Now God's trying to communicate something, and. When you have a moment like this in the scriptures that doesn't seem like it really fits, nothing is random with God. And so let's take a look at this here in verse 1 in Exodus chapter 18. It says, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And after Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. And so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now this is surprising here in verse 9. Take a look at this. Jethro, Midian priest Jethro, idol worshiper, not just a worshiper but the, the top dog, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said in verse 10, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now here we see, we read the activity of God where Jethro, a pagan priest, is now acknowledging and giving praise to Jehovah Yahweh. It's an amazing, amazing part of the story here. And Moses says, You know, father-in-law, you know many gods. You are a priest of many gods. And Moses says, but I want to tell you about the one true deliverer God. Verse 11, take a look at what Jethro says. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro Moses's father-in-law brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses's father-in-law in the presence of God. So what we see here is we have a conversion experience story, is what we have here. Jethro has been a pagan priest, a leader in the religion of Pagan gods of of, of many gods. And by the Holy Spirit, his eyes are opened and he comes to realize that there's one true deliverer God. And he and Aaron and the elders of Israel, they eat a meal, a a meal of worship to God. Verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. Okay, so a strange part of the story again. You think about this they had this praise the lord moment right moses moses's father-in-law uh jethro he says i'm giving up being the pagan priest i'm going to worship the one true deliverer god but moses has to go to work the next day from morning until evening he what it says here he counsels people now, I'm an extrovert, okay? I like people. I like all kinds of people. I like people who are paying attention right now. I like people who are looking at their phones right now. Um, I like people I like people who are different than me. I like people who have problems, people who have never had problems. I like people. But counseling from morning until evening, that's going to be the end of me. I mean, I could do that maybe one a day, maybe one a month, you know. uh, But I I could not imagine sitting in the fireside room talking with someone and maybe not even counseling appointment, maybe just talking through some life issues. But then I look at the door, the window, and there's a line forming that goes all the way around the playground and into the prayer garden and through the parking lot. I could not imagine what that would be like for Moses. I think about not just for me, because that's selfish, isn't it? Think about the people standing in line who need counsel. I mean, it's standing in line. It's not like standing in line at Disneyland, where you know you're there for an hour and a half, two hours. Is that how long the lines are there now? Longer? Okay, anyways, that doesn't sound like fun. But anyway, some of you think so. Because you go there all the time, and you stand in a line for two hours, and you know what the end of that line's going to be. You're going to get to get go on a really great ride, right? It's not like that, I don't think. It's more like a line at the, at the DMV, right? I mean, it's, it's or Costco or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's really bad. Verse 14. Let's take a look. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. "'Moses' father-in-law replied, "'What you are doing is not good. "'You and these people who come to you "'will only wear yourselves out. "'The work is too heavy for you "'and you cannot handle it alone. "'Listen now to me.'" This is Moses' father-in-law. He says, "'Listen, and I'll give you some advice, "'and may God be with you. "'You must be the people's representative before God "'and bring their disputes to him.'" teach them his decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. It's a great, it's, it's, it's like a leadership book here. It's, a, it's, it's incredible. Now there's two benefits here. And I think they're so clear. The first is you won't burn out. Moses, if you continue to do this, you're gonna burn out. But if you do what I'm telling you, this advice, you won't burn out. The second benefit of this is the people will be satisfied. They'll go home satisfied, he says. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and Numbers chapter 11, these Old Testament books, there's a more detailed narrative of this same situation. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 14, it's in your notes, um, Moses' prayer he says I I can't carry all these people by myself the burden is too heavy for me and in verse 16 the Lord says to Moses bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people have them come to the tent of meeting that you may stand there that they may stand there with you I'll come down and speak with you there and I'll take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them And they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. It's a more detailed aspect of this same situation. Now, let's finish out the chapter here. In verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, and they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is God's word here. The whole chapter, chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. As we read through this great story in the Bible, God gives us this intriguing sidebar, this, this sort of this rabbit trail, um, of Moses and leadership leadership tips, and leadership advice from Jethro, his father-in-law. Well, without a doubt, you read this passage of Scripture. The primary lesson of this passage is spiritual leadership principles. And these principles of leadership are carried on throughout the entire Bible. You'll see them Jesus using these principles. You'll see the apostles and the New Testament church using these principles. And the truth is this. Very few Christians are leading a church. Very very few. And, And maybe even very few Christians are serving on a church staff. But that's not what this is all about, necessarily. God has called each and every one of us each and every one of us, to lead in some... And you might be thinking, it's small. I'm leading in a small way. But he's called each and every one of us to lead in some way. Now, anyone who follows Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is called to make disciples that make disciples. They're called to lead in that way. This this happened um, a a few months ago. Some people wanted to get baptized, and so there's about four of them. And I'm, I'm supposed to have a, a class or a time to instruct them on, on baptism. And I thought, ah, let's not go into a classroom. Let's just do it outside. So during coffee and snacks time, I gathered these four people together and, and we were just standing by the playground out there. And there were kids playing and people drinking coffee and having donuts and stuff. And I said, okay, here's the deal on baptism. And I said, I really want you to pay attention to this. So I just have a a, a meeting, you know, me and, and four uh, young men and women. And then what was happening, because we were in that playground area and there was a bunch of people around, there were others that were kind of listening in, like, like what's going on here? And I said, well, I'm just having a baptism class here. And they were just kind of just hanging around. I said, you could listen if you want. And then I told these four that were in this class, I said, hey, I'm gonna tell you this stuff about baptism. But what I really want you to do is I really want you to remember what I'm telling you because all these other kids that are around, I want you to go tell them after this. And they were like, okay, I better, I better get this. and I really better pay attention. And so we went through, okay, baptism is like this in the Bible, and this is what we do, and this is why it's important. And they're taking it all in. And then after we were done, I said, okay, now you go talk to that person, and then you go talk to... That person, and you go talk to that that person about what I just told you. You see, before we dive into the application of this ancient passage of scripture, I I also want to say that the spiritual principles of leadership inform principles of leadership in business. The spiritual principles of leadership inform business leadership, they inform team leadership if you're on a team they inform family leadership if you have a family they inform corporate leadership just whatever you do at work that's what we're talking about today and the principles of god work for those who follow god and for those who don't because the principles of this leadership are all about the kingdom that god has given us that we live in right now in that he's fulfilling and bringing to completion as the days go on so I'm just simply gonna talk about four points of application and we'll simply call it the best leaders the best leaders and when I talk about leaders I'm talking about you so the best leaders number one are teachable number one that's the first point the best leaders are teachable and you see this in Moses Does it seem a little bit bizarre to you, though, that a former pagan priest who happens to be your father-in-law tells Moses how he should conduct himself? Does it seem a little bit bizarre to you? Because it does to me. It says in verse 24 of our text today in chapter 18, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Now, if I'm Moses... And my father-in-law who was a former pagan priest who just recently said okay praise the lord the lord's my god too he just did that if i'm moses my first reaction to jethro is i'm moses don't tell me what to do right you're my father-in-law and and you just i've been walking with god for a long time and what do you got a couple hours under your belt you see one of the marks, though, of the best leaders is humility. And one of the marks of a leader you don't want to follow is arrogance. Now, I know many of you, I've, I've talked, I, we just talked this week, many of you have this internal sort of radar, a, a radar in your heart, or you can spiritualize and call it it's a gift of discernment, if you want to, well, want to call it that. And then when you meet someone and you talk with someone, right away, uh, maybe it's a pastor or a leader, this radar, this sort of thing that it's inside of you, you go, oh, that dude's arrogant. And you just, you just got that. It's a gift of discernment, it's sort of a meter, it's a radar sort of thing in you, it's like, or, oh, that dude's humble, I like that guy. And some leaders, pastors or bosses, parents or friends or spouses have a very difficult time saying three words I was wrong and if that's you man I need to tell you the best leaders are teachable the reason this is so important is that sometimes the greatest lessons come from the least likely sources I remember it was over 20 years ago. We were at a, another church facility, and it was Sunday morning, and there were people walking around. I think it was after our worship service where everyone's kind of orderly and sitting down and listening intently and things like that. But it was afterwards, and there are people walking around getting their kids or their babies fighting for a cup of coffee or a donut or something like that. And I've got my daughter, who's three, four, five years old, and we're holding hands, and we're walking through the, through the building. And I'm like this. You know, I'm just like intently, I've got to go do this. I've got to make sure that's okay. I've got to go see that person. And we're just walking through the building. And finally, she grabs my hand really tight, puts her other hand on top of it, and squeezes it. And she digs her heels in and says, Daddy, slow. Because I'm dragging her around. And I learned one of the best leadership principles I learned on that day through my daughter, my four or five-year-old daughter, that I need to walk slowly because no one wants to be around a leader that's always in a hurry, going from task to task. There's a lot of things to do. If you've ever hosted a party at your home and your friends are coming over, well, you're cooking things and you're cleaning things and you're setting up things. You're making sure everyone's got a drink and appetizers are going. But really, you just want to be with your people, right? And you can't kind of do both. you gotta, you got to walk slowly through the crowd. And if I could tell any leader, anything, a boss at work, a ministry leader here at NOVA, don't be so concerned about what has to be done. Be more concerned with walking slowly through the crowd and looking at people and saying, I see you, and hello, and being kind. And you're going you're to learn so much by doing that. The greatest leadership lessons come from the least likely sources. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The best leaders, number one, are teachable. Number two, the best leaders equip and empower others. The best leaders equip and empower others. This is a great lesson for all of us here, here at Nova. Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 through 26 is just this pretty big section of that chapter where God tells Moses, through his father-in-law, that his role is not to be the counselor for everyone, <clears throat> but to raise up and appoint others to counsel. A great Christian leader, a movement leader, his name is D.L. Moody, he says this. He says, I would rather raise up a 100 than do the work of a 100. And someone would, some would rather do the work of 100 Because if we do the work of a hundred, we'd get that affirmation and praise of all the people around, like, oh man, you're a hard worker, and that feels good to us. But if you do the work of a hundred, rather than raise up a hundred, you're the last link in that chain. And that's not what Jesus commissioned us to do. The best leaders raise up, equip, and empower others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul has a protege, a young pastor named Timothy, and he says this to him, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, if you really, really look at this verse, there's a generation after generation after generation of those that are being equipped and empowered, who are equipping and empowered to do the work. Last week we had a gathering of church leaders, pastors, here at Nova. And the purpose of the gathering was to encourage one another and to talk about how we can work together to do uh, kingdom work uh, making gospel ministry and kingdom work happen, making disciples. And, you know, it's fun that the pastors are coming from all over L.A. County and, and they wanted to see what we're doing in the open project and the open campaign. And so we looked around the playground, the prayer garden, and we, we, we stood in the, um, in the new lobby. Not to be used yet, but we stood in it anyways. Um, and... Um, uh, you know, the big glass doors that are there, and we're standing there, and we're looking out, and there's people all around, there's families playing in the playground, and there's dog walkers and joggers and exercise people all around. And it just, the, the Spirit of God just really hit me as we're, as we're there and I'm talking about what's going on here. And it just hit me with thinking about the people who acquired this land and built the original buildings. And and I thought about them and I thought, we stand on their strong shoulders, don't we? We don't even know their names, some of you do. We don't even know their names. And I think to myself, I, I thought to myself, it had to be that this group of people that we don't know their names who sacrificed and were generous and gave, acquired this land, built these buildings, sacrificed their time, that some of them must have been praying for us. That they would be praying that we would open our eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. They must have been praying that for us because that's what we're doing. And then I thought, what are we doing of unnamed people in our future how are we praying for unnamed people in our future and how can we equip and empower others to do this work of ministry because that's what the best leaders do number one the best leaders are teachable number two the best leaders equip and empower others and number three they know how to set boundaries the best leaders know how to set boundaries. This is a hard truth here, that servant leadership doesn't mean I serve everyone. I'll say this again. Servant leadership means doesn't mean I serve everyone. If Jethro and Moses were around today, you can hear Jethro telling Moses, son, you don't need to do everything here. In in Exodus chapter 18, verses 22 and 23, Jethro tells Moses, he says, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves, that'll make your load lighter because they will share it with you. You stand in line all day hoping to hear Moses hear your complaint, hoping. That Moses will be there. But when it's your turn and that your number gets called and you walk up, you don't get Moses. You get Judge Sally or Judge Judy or something like like that. And you're a little bit disappointed. Right? But the truth is this. Your job isn't to do everything to please everybody. Dr. Henry Cloud, that Christian psychologist who's a famous author and speaker in our area, in his best-selling book entitled Boundaries, he writes, every time you set a boundary, someone will be mad or disappointed. It's true. And if, if this is true, this means that the best leaders will always have mad and disappointed people around them. I never really thought about that, but, you know, maybe that tells me I'm a best leader. (laughs) It's because the best leaders set boundaries. We need boundaries with kids, right, parents? We need boundaries in business. We need boundaries at work and in ministry. And because of that, angry and disappointed people will be following you. It's not the leader's job to keep everyone happy. The best leaders? They're teachable. They equip and empower others. They know how to set boundaries. And the last one for today is this. The best leaders know that character is far more important than giftedness. The best leaders know this. Moses, Jethro tells Moses to select certain people to appoint. He says in verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them, as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. For this role, (coughs) Jethro tells Moses to appoint people with good character. But if you have the education or expertise or you have a skill set and experience, but poor character, you're going to have a problem. And Jethro says, look for people who put God first, who fear God who are worthy of trust, who are trustworthy, and have integrity. And I I always always go back in my mind, I think, by the way, how does a man who's a new convert really know these things? It's gotta be by the Spirit of God. In the workplace or ministry, when you hire someone there, there, there probably is a minimum level of competence or skill or education or experience that you have to have, but you need to remember to look deeply into someone's character. You know, in our world today, there's so much that we do, isn't there? Some of you are in school, and academics are so important. Some of you are in school, and sports are important, or arts are important. You're part of a dance company that's so important to you. You're part of high-level youth sports, and you're playing weekends and weekdays. And you're working out. Maybe you're into music, and, man, you've got to, if you want to be good at music, you practice and you practice, and you just keep practicing. And some of us, we work, and we have loved ones in our life, and we need to work out, and we need to eat right, and... Then we have some interests that are leisure time activities, and we have hobbies, and we have this full life here in Southern California. I I think it's important for me to ask the question, with all that we're doing, how are you developing your character? How are you developing spiritual growth in your life? I'm all about keeping healthy and eating healthy. I, I think it's important that we engage your minds and, and if sports is your thing or arts is your thing, music and dance and all of these things. And parents, I'm talking to you too. You really have to consider, and maybe I, you already have, I'll take it for granted that you are considering. What about character growth, spiritual growth? What about those things? How do we hold all these things into balance? And I think it's worth having a conversation with someone that you love today about how you're doing that for yourself and how you're helping, especially if you have kids in this area. These are lessons from a former pagan priest, a shepherd in the, the father-in-law of Moses who tells Moses, you know what, Moses? The best leaders, they're teachable humble. Number two, they equip and empower others. They don't try to do all the work themselves, but they're thinking, how do I train others to do this work also? The third, the best leaders, the great leaders, they, they set boundaries. And because of that, there'll be people who are angry and disappointed. And number four, they know that character is much more important than giftedness. Amen?